according to John's 13th chapter, verses 34 and 35. The gospel is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bible on page 877. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The preaching text today comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verse, beginning at verse 12 and runs all the way through chapter 13, verse 7. It's printed on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like God wanted. If all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts, but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be division in the body, and so that the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All aren't apostles, are they? All aren't prophets, are they? All aren't teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't have the gift of healing, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts, and I'm going to show you an even better way. If I speak in tongues of human beings and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all the mysteries and everything else, and if I have such complete faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away everything that I have and hand over my body to feel good about what I've done, but I don't have love, I receive no benefit whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. It isn't jealous. 
It doesn't brag. It isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but it is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Word of God, word of life. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we've been going through this series on church ingredients, I think we can get a little muddled in how we think about church, right? We think of it as this building, right? I'm going to church. I'm driving to the building and parking and finding my seat and all of those things. But the church that we're talking about is the gathering of the body of Christ. So they are church today on the bus going to the Twins game, just as we are church today here, or if you're listening on the radio, just as you are church where you are at. And so what does it mean to be the body of Christ, to mix these ingredients together to create church? Well, it means that we are a community informed and ruled by Christ, a community that embodies Christ communally, all together, and as individuals, and a community that proclaims Christ in word and deed. I'm so glad that we uh, celebrated two baptisms today to remember those promises that create this body of Christ, this community of church. And so then we hear these words from Paul this morning. And Paul is writing to a divided community. They had been competing with one another according to their culturally defined values. They were using those gifts of the Holy Spirit meant for the good of the whole community as their personal arsenal in the competition for honor at the expense of others. So they were saying, well, I can speak in tongues, and so I'm better over here, and you, you can only teach. So you're over there. You are less in this community. But Paul points us back to baptism and makes it clear that everyone who is baptized shares the same water, the same promise, the same spirit, and so are all part of the same body. In baptism, we experience that spirit of God at work to overcome the divisions that the powers of the world nurture and on which they depend. It's easy to think that we are much more sophisticated than that first century church, but all around us, we find those polarities that are overcome in baptism and brought to surprising and profound unity in Christ. Black or white, Asian or Hispanic or First Nation, straight or gay, single or married, citizen or undocumented, rich or poor, young or old, or what about the homeless or the mentally ill? It is unlikely that we will fight over the spiritual gifts in our congregation, that that will be the main source of conflict in our life together, but these Ethnic, social, and economic distinctions run under the surface of our life together, and those will cause us conflict. Paul goes on to say 
you are the body of Christ. But what Paul really means is y'all are the body of Christ and parts of each other. Each one is an important member of the body, but all of us together make up that body. Now, this means that this doesn't call us to a privileged status, but instead the recognition of our responsibility for the mutual care of the members of the body of Christ. Just as we claim the title of beloved child of God, we also need to remember that that title applies to everybody else too. No exceptions. Each part, no matter the presentableness, is to be treated with dignity and respect. Which means that all people have the right to be recognized for their inherent humanity. I'm going to say it again. All people have the right to be recognized for their inherent humanity. That they were created by God and loved by God just as much as you and I sitting here or listening to this today. To be loved as our neighbors is what everyone deserves in the same way that we love ourselves. Being a member of the body of Christ means an absolute out-and-out -out conjoining of with one another, a sister and brother in Christ. To exist in division, to see only difference and not the unity that we are able to profess because of Christ, to demand conformity instead of celebration of difference is to entertain the notion of dismemberment, cutting off our own arms or legs or ears or eyes or what have you. We will find ourselves cut off from the very source of our life when we do this. Our existence and our ability to be most fully who we are because part of us is lost. Part of the body of Christ is lost. To what extent are we able to live out fully our own callings when we are not able to rely on and give support to others living out theirs? It is not true that who is it, excuse me, is it not true that we are called to be members of the body of Christ and that it means we encourage those fellow members of the body of Christ to embrace and embody their callings too? To do this, we must become a community centered on and empowered by the love of Christ. That simple verse from the Gospel of John lends itself to an old song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And the Gospel writer is reminding us that discipleship is characterized by love. By love, not by the rules that we follow, not by who we determine is in or out, but by love. Unity and difference can be acknowledged, respected, and celebrated only when love is at the center of what we do and who we are as a Christian community. And Paul tells us more about what kind of love this is. We hear those verses from 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but Paul isn't writing to people getting married. He isn't writing to remind us of the warm and fuzzy emotion. He is writing a call to action. Unlike those moments in weddings where they exchange vows, the couple exchanges vows, 
Paul is not introducing these verses to affirm something that's already present in the community. He presents this passage as a way to introduce the community to a way of living that is necessary if they are going to survive the muddy waters of difference and disagreement produced in interpersonal relationships. The Corinthian church was not made up of all the same kinds of people. It was not a comfortable gathering where people fell into step with each other because they shared fundamentally similar lives, values, and experiences. In fact, it was quite the contrary. It transgressed conventional social boundaries of ethnicity, gender, age, rank, status, and life situation. There are married and unmarried men and women, as well as widows and children among them. Most of its members are converted Gentiles, but they also include Jewish people. In fact, some of these Jewish members were rather powerful figures who served as former synagogue leaders. Most of its members were from the lower classes, but some were high ups in the government. One was the city treasurer of Corinth, and he had enough resources to support the entire church. There are slaves and free people in the community, as well as people with skill set, different skill sets and gifts. The diversity within this church of Corinth generated both benefits and challenges, things that we are familiar with as well. Unfortunately, this diversity dissolved into discord and rivalry. They divided into contentious groups, and they took sides with some saying they were uh, with this teacher or that teacher. The community fragmented because of their difference instead of being enriched. Yet Paul remains firm that that diversity was non-negotiable. God called that community to be diverse and to get along within it. This poetic ode to love that we love to read together was not written to celebrate the unifying love that was already happening in the community. It was a call to action, an intervention to instruct on what had not yet come to pass. And so it is a word for us today, too. In a time and a place where diversity is seen as a threat, where we worry about division and difference of opinion and we fight over who is the most right, Paul's words are for us today. Both Paul and Jesus remind us that we cannot be Christian and hate people or perpetuate division based on gender, sexuality, skin color, country of origin, citizenship or lack thereof, language spoken, political affiliation, economic status, health status, or any other category or stereotype that we can imagine. The call today is to get serious about this kind of love that we are called to strive for. So let's turn off those cable news channels and give up fear of our neighbor in favor of love for our neighbor. Let's be the community that sees the dignity and worth in all people, black or Latinx or native or white, immigrant or citizen, poor or financially comfortable, healthy or sick. Let's use our resources to show love and care for all people, regardless of employment status, color of skin, neighborhood they live in, or country of origin. 
Let's use our voices to speak out when our fellow members of the body of Christ are being mistreated, lied about, and disparaged. And let's use our ambition to promote the love and unity of the body of Christ. This kind of love is an up-at-dawn, feet-on-the-ground, tools-in-hand, working kind of love, and it builds communities. It nurtures positive social interactions, and it unifies. Love is the way by which we talk to each other, eat with one another, fellowship together, and affirm all. Love transcends all our social systems and personal biases. It forms whole and holistic people who are anchored in the well-being of others. And this love that comes freely, flowing from Jesus Christ, will not let us down, and will empower us to make this more than a reality when we genuinely live in it together by God's grace. May it be so. Amen.